Good morning again. So why are you here? Think about that for just a moment. So why? Why are you here? Is this a Sunday morning habit? There we are. So nicely dressed and everybody facing the same way except one. Why are we here? When I was on sabbatical, um, that was a good question for me to ask every day. Um, Why am I here this day? What's the purpose for my day? And naturally, I thought a lot about harvest and about our purpose and, and why are we here. And last week, I shared with you that the main message that I was hearing throughout the sabbatical was a very short verse in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And God wants us to understand his love as best as we can, even though it's still too great to understand fully. And that is something that happens deep within our hearts. But one of the things that I began to think about was that God wants us to experience his love with one another. And we gather, and we've been gathering like this for time that Jesus began his church. Now, of course, not us, but the church has been around since then. And the blessing of being able to go to Israel was to be able to go to different places where Jesus lived and Jesus walked. And it wasn't until the third day of our trip that we were in this city, Capernaum, the story that I told the children, that things began to click for me, that I was really where Jesus once lived, where he worked, where he ministered, where he died and where he rose again. And so here we have a map of Israel and of the Sea of Galilee, and right there is Capernaum. It's on sort of the northwestern edge of the Sea of Galilee, And, you know, we look at it, it's just a map, and all my life, I didn't even know where Capernaum was. I knew it was in Israel. I didn't know exactly where it was. But even going there still, it's just a picture. Then the next time we got there, we got to Capernaum, and uh, we weren't on a plane, but this is a picture I got off the Internet. There's an aerial view of Capernaum, right? And so you can see it's right there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and right here is the city, and it's not real big. About a thousand people lived there in the time of Jesus. It was a seaport city. And it was the city, though, of Jesus' disciples, Peter and Andrew. They were from that city. And there were other disciples that were probably from that city as well. And so as we went around the city, we got to see different things. And right here is a synagogue. And the next picture will show an up close. So we got there, and this is the foundation of the synagogue. And you can't really see this sign here, but it says this is the white synagogue. So the white synagogue is the part that was built on top of the black foundation. Well, the white synagogue was built about the 4th century A.D. And then the black here is balsit stone. And it's just the natural stone color of the rock in that area. And they believe that this is the actual foundation of the original synagogue. So that would have been where Jesus spoke. That would have been where Jesus was, as we read in Mark chapter 1. And if you have an outline, you can see there Mark chapter 1 on the sidebar. And this is about Jesus moving to the city of Capernaum. 
Jesus was born in Nazareth and he grew up in Nazareth. But as he began his ministry there in Nazareth, he was rejected. And so he left the city and he went to Capernaum to live there. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, it says, They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And when I think about that for myself, when I think about that for us, one of the things that really struck me was that too often, as I read the word of God, that's all it is to me is law. I read the Bible and it's a bunch of facts, it's a bunch of truth, it's a bunch of commandments, it's law. And it kind of tells me how to live. But I don't think that's why God gave us his law. I think that God gave us his law so that we might look beyond it to that which gives us freedom so that we can live in the love of God. Now, of course, we have to obey the law. But if we don't obey the law with love, then we're just legalists. We're just hypocrites. But we need to experience what they saw here is they saw that Jesus had authority, that Jesus cared, that Jesus loved, that Jesus spoke as man, that Jesus spoke to their hearts. And this is what I think God wants for all of us, is to have a faith that allows God to speak to our hearts. And so we have a picture here in Capernaum, and we have a picture here in the words of Mark chapter 2. As it says, a few days later, Jesus is still in Capernaum, but it says a few days later, that was a few days later after he had been speaking at the synagogue, Jesus went and again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And so we had that story with the children, and this is a true story of the men. They went to the house. And first, before I go on, I also want to give credit to the person who, who um, did that children's sermon. I learned it on YouTube. And um, there's this girl there. Her name's Amanda Smith. And uh, she has a number of children's sermons on, on YouTube. And that was an awesome one. So I copied that from her. But I thought it's so well pictured for the children and for us that these men went to this city. These men lived in the city who went to this home, and this home was so crowded because people wanted to hear Jesus teach. That's what this seems to be the main purpose there, to hear Jesus teach. And Capernaum was known as the town of Jesus. In fact, some Bibles will say that's his hometown. But when they went to the house and Jesus was there teaching, Jesus was the center of attention. And that's what's so important about us being here on Sunday, is that Jesus would be the center of attention, just as he was the center of attention in that home. And that not only would Jesus be the center of attention, but that we would truly hear his word in our hearts, that we would internalize this good news. Mark is one of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the word gospel means good news. And so we could say this is the good news of Mark. And Jesus began to teach in Mark, in Mark 1, 14. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Can you imagine what it would be like to be there with Jesus? 
This is something that I think God wants us to begin to try to do more and more so that we can live within the Word of God. We can have the Word of God living within us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, you see the verse there on the sidebar. Would you read it aloud with me? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let's begin. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So God's word is supposed to do what? It's supposed to penetrate into our lives. It's supposed to go into us so that it can have its life lived out through us. That God wants us to experience his word as something that lives within us and that we can really understand it. And just like Jesus, God's word is great. It's too great to fully understand, but we can still understand it. We can get into God's word. We can be there in the scriptures as we think with imagination and as we also believe with faith. Dallas Willard, an author, and he, he recently passed away. He was a professor at USC, uh, but he was a tremendous theologian as well as a philosopher. And he wrote many books, and in one of his books called Hearing God, he wrote these words. If we are really to understand the Bible record, we must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded there were basically of the same type as ours would be if we were there. Those who lived through them felt them very much as we would if we were in their place. Unless this feeling of identification comes home to us, the things that happen to the people in the Bible will remain unreal to us. And so what Dallas Willard is saying is that we can and we are and even we should enter into the word of God and as we read it, we would say, wow, what those people may have experienced would be exactly what I would have experienced if I was there. And if I were there, what would I have felt? What would you have felt if you had been watching this story? What would you have thought if you were watching those four friends? What would you have believed as you watched the story unfold and as Jesus was speaking to both the disciples and also to the paralytic and to his friends and also to those who were his skeptics? How would you think you would have felt? To know that, we need to enter into the story. And so I want us to enter into the story by having a faith that says, you know what? I want to be like those men. I want to take risks to serve others. And I think this is the second thing that we learn from this story, from these passages, is that there is a faith. There is a faith for us that is to take a risk to serve other people. In verse 3, verse 4, we read this. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. Now, we can enter into that story by imagining that we are one of those friends. This began to become much more real for me as I was in Capernaum. And though we were there for only a short time, we got to see the ruins. And so these ruins had been unearthed from about the early 19th century. And archaeologists have found different things. 
and they've been able to save them and to protect them. And so um, the next picture will show a ruin, and the, this is the ruin. It's now been covered up by a building, and I'll show you that in just a minute. But this is a home that comes from the first century. This is a home that there's markings inside of it that talk of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so this home had been preserved, and you can see there's some extra walls around here, and there's an extra building around here. And what it's believed to be is that in the 4th century, they believed that this wall was built as a protection to commemorate this home. Well, why was it so important? Well, there's some evidence in archaeology, some substantial reason to believe that this home was actually the home of Peter and Andrew that this is the home that's very near the synagogue. The Bible says that after Jesus left the synagogue, he went to Peter and Andrew's home, and he performed a miracle there. He raised Peter's mother-in-law, who had been sick. And so they believe that the reason why there's etchings in this home and why this home had been preserved even from the first century to the fourth century where this wall was built to the fifth century where a church was built over those walls that these were built in commemoration of what had happened in the time of Jesus, that this is a very special home. And, you know, we don't know 100% for sure if that's true, but there's some evidence that gives us some reason to believe it very much could be true. And so in modern days, um, they've covered up that home, so that's the one in the middle there, and they covered up the home, and up here is a modern-day church. Okay, so the next slide will show the church. And it's really cool looking. It looks like a spaceship, right? And it sits, it, it's octagonal. There's eight pillars that hold it up. And you can, start, you can barely see inside. But underneath there, that's where the home is. And so in the middle of the church building, we'll go to the next slide, there's a, a glass floor. And you can look through the glass floor and you can look down into that ancient building. You can see the floor plan of this first century home. You can see the walls of the 4th century wall. You can see the foundation of the 5th century octagonal church that was there. And as I was sitting there, and I had just 15 minutes, they gave us about 15, 30 minutes to have some time just to do whatever we want. So I decided to just sit there. And then it struck me that if this was the home of Peter, this might very well have been the home where Jesus was teaching in Mark chapter 2 in this story, where Jesus was in the home and there were many people around the city. You can see how small the home was. And so it was so full and they couldn't get in, these four men with their friends. So they climbed up on the roof. And I realized that I was standing at about the same height, looking down into that room like those men might have as they were looking down. Or as the paralytic, he may have been looking up at the skies but he would have been right there at that place as Jesus was on the floor waiting for him and as he was let down. I thought, what would it have been like to be there? Can you imagine? How would you have felt? You'd finally gotten an opportunity and now you're going to let your friend down through the roof. You've taken off the roof. Now, just think of the risk that was taken there, right? Maybe they knew Peter, maybe they didn't. But would you just go up on somebody's roof and start banging a hole through it? In that day, the roofs were thatched and they were made of mud and they were made of tree branches. And so it would have been fairly easy. 
and just get out a hammer or get out a knife or just hit it really hard with your fist. And then just imagine all the things that could have gone wrong. Right? They could have knocked out a beam and all of them, all five of them could have come falling down. Or if they didn't fall down, just imagine if one of the ropes broke while they were letting them down. And the, the paralytic falls to the ground and now it stays even worse. What if they fell on Jesus? Right? I mean, just think of all the things that could have gone wrong. They took risks. I think this is a picture for you and for me to take some risks. That if we really are going to be the church, if we're going to enter into the stories of God and do the things that God would have us to do, that we would be like these four men. And we would have deeds that would show forth our love and show forth our desire to serve our fellow men, to help other people come near to Jesus. In James chapter 2, verse 26, the Bible says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. God wants us to have faith, but he also wants us to have deeds. He wants us to be living stones in a living church that's built. Not just churches made out of stone, made out of bricks, made out of wood, but living stones. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that you and I are given the opportunity to serve in so many different ways. What is the most recent way that you have served in this church? What is the most recent way that, that you've given a sacrifice to help somebody else? Now, um, Solomon asked you to pull off, he always does, he asked you to pull off the welcome card. Would you just look at that welcome card for a moment that you pulled off? And, and some of us, probably all of us, have seen it before. Maybe we've become so familiar with it, we don't even see it. But on the back side, it says, let us help, if you pulled off the welcome card. And there's a number of boxes there where you can receive. You can receive services. You can ask for prayer. You can be, ask somebody to come and visit with you. You can ask for an opportunity to give and serve. You can join a small group. But on the bottom part, you can see there are many different ways that we need everybody to be part of a living church and to serve. It, it's sad to me that so often now that we have to ask for help, and oftentimes in an emergency way, for our children's ministry. Um, but as you can see, the children here, and that's probably not even half of them, as many are on vacation right now, but we have many children here who need help. And if you've never served in helping with the promised land, then you've missed an opportunity to give, an opportunity to bless the children. And we'll train you. We have materials to do it, and you can start off as a helper. But we need help there. There's another place where we, we greatly need help, and it's not even on this. And um, those, this is for somebody who, who has a strong car, right? Um, and who's willing to have a little trailer tow put on the back of it, Maybe you already have one, um, but we've had in the past up to four uh, people who could help us to bring the trailer here, because every week we have to bring all this equipment in, and every week it's usually the same people loading and unloading it, and usually it's the same person who's driving his trailer here, the trailer here, and that's Andy, and then we have, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and week after week he does that, but you know what? Andy's getting old. Yeah. Andy's getting old. And, um, and he can't keep doing this. And then recently we had somebody else who was helping us do it. And um, he has an injury now, so he can't do it. So there's only two people who are capable now of bringing the trailer here. We really need somebody who's willing to learn how to drive with a trailer and have a hitch put on the back of their car or their truck so that we can get set up here so that Andy doesn't have to keep doing it all mostly by himself. There's many ways that we can serve. Is it a risk? Yeah. Will it take time? Yeah. Will it be a sacrifice? In some degree. Will you have to learn something new? Yes. But will you be alive? Will you be blessed? Will you be able to give something to somebody else who otherwise wouldn't be able to get it? Will you be willing to take that risk to serve, to, like, to do something like climbing up on the roof and digging through to give to others? I hope that you would do that. And that you would even mark today on the welcome card your offering to God when you put it into the offering bag of a willingness. And, and maybe you're just thinking about it and you would like to talk about it. That's fine too. You know, we're not going to make you do anything, but if you have interest, we can inform you more about the ways that you can do this, the ways that you can help us to take some risks and to serve others. But as the story goes on, there's another way that we can figure out how we too can be part of this story. And that is by imagining what would it be like to be this paralytic? You know what? I have been that paralytic at different times of my life. The faith that God would have for us to, to exercise is a faith that lets other people help us in times of our need. The paralytic probably didn't have a lot of choice if his friends just decided to pick him up. But when Jesus said, and he saw their faith, I assume and I believe that it also includes the faith of the paralytic. And that this was the church and this was community in action. And this man, though a paralytic, was willing to let other people help him in his trouble, in his difficulty. He wasn't afraid to tell other people. Now, of course, this guy, he didn't have much choice about showing his weakness. Everybody could see it. But for you and for me, I think there's many places in our lives where we may feel a little bit paralyzed. And we're afraid to let other people know about it. And because we can walk and because we can do things with our bodies and because we can smile and because we can wear these types of, of masks, we can sort of pretend that we don't have needs, that, that we're not hurt and that everything's okay. What's so amazing about Harvest is that every time there really is a need that comes up, I think you see it and you actually want to be part of it. You want to give when the needs become very obvious, when the hurts are very real as we've experienced in our church many times over the years and, and much recently, that people going through hard times, the first thing we want to do is help because we see a need. But so often all of us have needs that we just won't let other people see. We won't be vulnerable. We won't let other people look into the secrets of our lives. Frederick Buechner is a, a theologian and just a wonderful teacher. And um, he wrote some autobiographical books about his life and about his heart. And in them, he tells stories 
about himself, things that we might consider to be embarrassing or things that might, other people might judge. But he wanted to be an example because he has a gift of writing. He had a, a gift of teaching, and he knew Jesus well as a theologian. And he was well-respected. And so he wrote three autobiographical books, and one of them is called Telling Secrets. And in that book, he says, I have called this book Telling Secrets because I have come to believe that by and large, the human family all has the same secrets, which are both very telling and very important to tell. They are telling in the sense that they tell what is perhaps the central paradox of our condition, that what we hunger for perhaps more than anything else is to be known in our full humanity. And yet, that is just as often what we also fear more than anything else. Just think of that last part. The central paradox of our condition that we hunger for perhaps more than anything else is to be known in our full humanness. And yet, that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. We want to be loved just the way we are. But we never know that unless we let people know who we really are. It's so important for us to confess not just our sins to one another, which it is, but to confess our needs, to confess our hurts, to confess our doubts, to confess our fears. You don't have to do it to a lot of people, but you need to do it to at least one person and maybe two you know, when we start telling our secrets to other people, other people tend to be open to share theirs with us. Do we judge them? No. We're thankful that we can hear. I have a couple of friends that I'm pretty close to that I get to share my secrets with. Tomorrow I'll meet with one of them, and I've been friends with him for over 25 years. And we've been telling secrets to each other for 25 years because I met him at a time of brokenness in my life. I met him at a time of great depression in my life. And he came to me because he saw that in me. He saw it outwardly. And he said that he cared about me just the way I was. Even though I was depressed, even though I was broken, even though Karen and I were having a really hard time in our marriage, he was there for me. And he's been there for 25 years. And God wants us to begin these friendships and to open up and let other people know about our hurts, where we feel paralyzed, maybe because we feel paralyzed because we once did a sin that we feel so guilty about, and we keep wondering, would God ever really forgive me for that? But when we break out of our secrets, what we find is healing, just like this man found, because we bring these secrets to Jesus. And this is where the story is just so important for us to see that Jesus is talking about faith through this story. This is a faith story for us. And what does he say? He says, when Jesus, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to her, like, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And this is what our faith is all about. If my sins are already forgiven, then when I share them with other people, it's not to be forgiven is to express that forgiveness and to let other people express Jesus' forgiveness to me as well. Now, in this case, there was a sickness. There was a sickness or a paralysis that was in this man, 
And many people assume that sickness and paralysis was because this man had sinned, but there's nothing in this story that tells us directly what sin this man might have done because to, that made him to be a paralytic. There's just the reality that all of us sin. And in our human condition, in our human brokenness, maybe, that's, maybe he was born a paralytic. Or maybe an accident happened through no fault of his own. There's no necessary reason that we can say that this man sinned, therefore he was paralyzed, but we can say that because we all sin, we all experience brokenness. We all will experience a certain paralysis in our life at different times. But when there's faith, and Jesus saw that faith, he saw this robust, I imagine Jesus smiling, I imagine Jesus even laughing and being happy when he was standing there teaching and all of a sudden he's looking up and a hole was being dug through the roof. And he's looking, at the, at the, as the men are looking down, they're looking up at Jesus who is just with his arms wide open. Bring him down. Bring him down to me. I know what you want. And Jesus receives them. And then he says that he forgives him. And that is interesting. It is interesting that that Jesus, in seeing their faith, doesn't say, rise, get up, right away. But rather, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And there were skeptics in the room. And we read that in verse 6, and it says, now some of the teachers of the law were there, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They thought that Jesus was just a mere man that he was insulting God, that he was blaspheming God, that he was insulting and injuring the reputation of holy God, that he was profaning his name. He says, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus wanted them to know that. And so we read in verse 8, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now you just imagine, you're there, you're listening. Okay, you're hearing this. And Jesus poses a question and he says, what's easier to say to this guy, your sins are forgiven? Or get up, take your mat and walk. And you're going, hmm, what's easier? Well, I think it'd probably be easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's, you don't know, right? It just could be psychological. The guy will think I'm forgiven. But if he says, well, hey, you know what? Get up and walk. You know, that would be really hard because you've got to prove that. So my answer is the easier one is to say your sins are forgiven. But other people are going, well, I don't know about that. You know, because... There are prophets and there are people and Jesus has been healing people already. So maybe actually just saying get up and walk is easier because healing a body is, is much easier than healing a soul. So I think it's easier to say get up and walk. Hmm. What do you think? How would you answer that question? Well, the Bible doesn't just say which one was easier for Jesus. The Bible just says that Jesus says, just to prove to you, just to prove that I can get this guy 
and, and raise him up and get him well and forgive him, I'm just going to pronounce that he's forgiven. And so the man gets up and he walks. The man gets up and he walks. And Jesus proves that the question certainly was rhetorical, but that neither one was harder for Jesus. Both were just as easy for him to forgive and to heal, to touch a life and to change it. And he says to the man, get up. Earlier in Mark, we had read, oh, I didn't read it to you, but in the, earlier in Mark is a story that Jesus, and he has been preaching in the synagogue. The Bible says he left the synagogue. He went to Peter and Andrew's home, and there at the home was their mother, and she was sick with fever, and she was probably dying. And the Bible says that Jesus went and he healed her, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up. Took her by the hand. But here, Jesus just says to the paralytic, get up and walk, stand. Well, he never had done that probably before, at least not for a long time. He didn't have any feeling in his legs. He couldn't move his arms. It would take another step of faith for him to stand up. Jesus didn't lift him up. He had to stand up. And I think this is a story for you and for me that we too have to decide to stand up on our faith. We have to decide that though we do believe in our heads, we may even believe in our hearts that Jesus has forgiven us, but it's got to be shown in the way that we live, in how we help other people, in how we live our lives, that we will get up. Jesus did so many miracles. In fact, out of all the cities named in the Bible, most of the, the, the city that has the most miracles named is Capernaum. If you look in your outline just really quickly, mention that Peter's mother-in-law was healed there. A centurion's servant was healed there. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead there. A woman with a hemorrhage who had been bleeding for 12 years was healed there. A nobleman's son was healed there. Two blind men were healed there. A demoniac was exercised there. Jesus did more miracles in Capernaum than any other noted city in the Bible. And yet, it says that the people did not believe. Now, a few believed. But the majority did not. And so we're there like that paralytic. And the question is, will we stand? Will we stand? Will we be a people who, having once known and touched and believed in the love of God, stand in this forgiveness and live? In Matthew 11, 23 and 24, it says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So even though we may see the experiences in the Bible, even though we may come here to worship God, even though we may say that we believe what Jesus really wants for us is to stand and to live out our faith, to know that we are forgiven, to share the joy of Jesus, to share the love of God, to serve with one another, to give to each other, to experience the love of Christ in the church with one another. I've never known more love than when I was in a position to receive. It's wonderful to give, 
But when other people have come around you and other people have shown you their love, you realize the love of God in your life. And so God is saying to each of us, let us allow others to love us and let us love other people. And this week, for sure, you are going to have an opportunity to give. And I pray and I hope that you'll remember this message so that you too can share the love of God with others. And maybe there'll be a time in your week, maybe even today, that you'll be able to ask somebody for help. Do that and receive the love of God so that we can be the church that other people know is a church that loves people like Jesus loves her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and, and for the opportunity of going into your word to hear it and to, to be blessed by it. But Lord, it's, it's so much more than that that you want for us than to just be blessed by the hearing of the word. You want us to be blessed by the doing of your word. And so, Father, we pray that today we would take to heart the opportunities that come to us to let other people help us where we have need, to tell a secret to somebody who we trust, to let them know a place where, where we're hurting, where we're doubting, where we're frustrated, where we're angry, where we're broken, where we don't see any way out so that others might be able to come in and just be with us. Love us just the way we are. And help us, Lord, as well to be those people who, when those opportunities are given to us to give, to give just of our time, our, friend, our friendship, our energy, our words of encouragement, our presence. Thank you, Lord, that you've done all this for us. In Jesus, amen.